George Santos, Israel, and Gaza, Kevin McCarthy, X, whatever the hell that is now, affirmative action, inflation, indictments, GOP debates. Hey everybody, this is Michael Steele. 2023 threw an incredible amount at us this past year. Some of it crap, a lot of it confusing, concerning, but you know what? We weathered the storm and we're still weathering. And I have just the guest to help us unpack 2023 and get ready for the storms that lie ahead in 2024 as we start this new year. Steve Schmidt is a political commentator and strategic advisor who has counseled heads of state CEOs, major corporations, uh, academic institutions, and not-for-profit organizations. He is also the host of the podcast and Substack newsletter, The Warning with Steve Schmidt. We get into it. This was a little different, a little highbrow philosophical discussion, which I think you need to kind of orient that thinking, uh, at least help you orient that thinking as we get ready for 2024. Sit back, relax, get ready. We're about to rock and roll with Steve Schmidt right here on the Michael Steele podcast. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Steele podcast. This is the first of the new year where we get to sit down and hang out. And I thought no better space and time and person to have to do this with than my man, Steve Schmidt. You know him. You followed him. He is a disruptor of the best kind, in my view. Uh, stress test the systems, uh, as, they, as it were. Steve, welcome, man. Good to see you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Looking Always good, baby. Good. Looking good. Thanks. Good to you too. Yeah, you know, you know, us follically challenged fellows, we're still looking good, baby, as we as we do our thing, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So look, man, it's a real treat to get you in the conversation again. Um you um you know, I mentioned the disruptive uh part of what you bring to politics, uh, and we'll get into some of that, but let's from your end, but let's start with the disruption that we see externally from others uh, and how that's setting up 2024. So when you look at 23 and all the stuff that came down the pike from the, you know, the Trump trials and, and the speaker races that seem to go on ad nauseum, what are some of the disruptions you saw in 23 that are really going to be shaping the disruption in 24? I think the biggest thing is that it depends how you view this. When I look around and I try to answer a question about what is it that I see, what I see is a continuous unfolding event that's gone on for seven years mm -hmm. um, since Donald Trump came down the escalator at Trump Tower. Uh, incontestably, he has been the dominant cultural figure in the United States over this period of time. Uh, there has been profound societal damage as a result of that that we could talk about 
for for days. There's a legitimately theocratic speaker of the house yep. who believes that people and dinosaurs walked around together 6,000 years ago. <laughs> he is a full-on religious zealot, fanatic, exactly the type of person the founders disdained with regard to their worries of who would it be that would hold high office in the country. Right. You know, if, you, if you believe one of the great inventions in history is the separation of church and state, which I do, you have a you have a legitimate theocrat in that office. The extremist movement is better organized. It has higher morale. It's better funded. It's on the march. It has a plan to fundamentally deconstruct the government of the United States within six months, hollowing out professional civil service. Um, so we're at a moment around the world. Uh, we see uh, hot war, Ukraine and Russia right. uh, with a... Uh, really growing difficult situation for ukraine uh the united states choking off supplies because of the republican congress you have military flare-ups in azerbaijan and armenia there's tension on the border in europe between serbia and kosovo russia is menacing the baltics uh what's happening in the in the red sea is significant we have a we have a tremendous amount of military firepower uh, across the region in a in a situation that could escalate uh, in an instant. So so the world uh, is at a dangerous hour. Uh, the country remains in a political crisis that's worsening, and and what it appears to be, you know, fundamentally the main candidates. Uh, for for the presidency, but but not the only significant candidates stand to be Biden and and Trump. Right. And so so with that, uh, you have a race that to some degree has some of the dimensions of the 1948 campaign where Harry Truman had to figure out how to win. You know, when there were three factions of the Democratic Party in the race, there was right. a there was a leftist faction represented by Wallace, a segregationist faction uh, represented by Thurmond, uh, Harry Truman in the mainstream of the party. And there was one Republican and Harry Truman right. figured out how to do it. Right. And, and that's the question at hand, because losing is not an option uh, to MAGA and Donald Trump here. Well, no, I agree with that. And, and I want to get to your your disruption in, in that space. Uh, in a moment, because I, I think it, it's important for people to put it in context. You you um, you hit, ticked off a couple of things that are, I think, significant in terms of uh, the effectiveness of that disruption. What I find the most intriguing still, uh, Steve, is the fact that so many people are buying the negative narrative. The economy sucks when inflation is down. Uh, prices are coming down. 
uh, jobs are increasing. Numbers out this week, uh, literally today, 216,000 jobs created um, last month uh, at the end of the, of, the, of the fourth quarter of 23. And yet, and still, people uh, by the polling are saying, give me MAGA, give, give me Trump. Give me that that religious zealot in the house. What what do you make of that? What what are people missing in the political class, especially that makes them still approach this election as a conventional, traditional election between a Republican and Democratic candidate? There's two parts to your question. There is why do people follow Trump? what appeals uh, to them about Trump. Right. And there's how do they feel about the economy and, and all of this stuff. The, the reality is, if you, if you read all of the stories, and I know you do, the White House seems genuinely perplexed <laughs> and in need of something. And when you read between the lines, what they want is a thank you. They want appreciation, right? They want to have an argument, right? That says, wait, 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 we did right. all these things, all these historic things, right? And and no one is thanking us for it. We're not getting any credit for it, right? So, so we're going to tell people, right? We're going to say it louder. We're going to say it more. We're going to tell them what we did so they thank us for it. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to do well in American politics. But let me just say, the country is not in a thank you state of mind. Right. They're right. in a fuck you state of yes, mind. Yes, they are. <laughs> right. So, 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 so full stop right there. The second thing is this, and this is true. And, and this is not said disrespectfully. This is not said with anger, but the election is less than a year away, and this is important. Somebody needs to walk into the Oval Office and say to the president and some of his top advisors, no one will throw you a ticker tape parade for doing the things that you said you were going to do. Mm -hmm. The thank you is the airplane, the helicopter, the White House, and all the cool shit that the American people give you <laughs> when you swear the 35 word oath. That's right. That's it. Right? right? That's what you're getting. So 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 the question is why are you running for president for four more? years at the age of 82. Why? Now, full stop there. We can talk about what he what he needs to say about that. On the economy, you have 80 years of research. This is really the only thing the American people care about is the relationship between wages and prices. We live in a period of time that I think is fair to call the angry 20s. Right. 100 years ago, coming out of a pandemic, we had the angry 20s in Germany and in Europe. 
The French called it the crazy years. It was the roaring 20s in the United States. But we had this profoundly disruptive event that, that profoundly changed how people live, how they work, how they travel, what they do, where they go, how they function, huge feelings of isolation, all sorts of change. People notice the prices. And the reality is, is in the country, 40% don't have $400 available. Right. So, so let's talk about democracy. But let's do it in the way that Franklin Roosevelt talked about it in 1936. When he talked about, we had a revolution to overthrow a king. But now there are new kings, new monarchs, new royals. So let me ask you a couple of questions. The black woman from Ohio who's being prosecuted because she had a miscarriage. Right. And she put the remains of the 21-week fetus that died in utero into the toilet who's being prosecuted for desecration of a corpse. What yep. does democracy mean to her? She doesn't live in a democracy, right? If, if you if you're unbanked, right? If you if you're forced to exist with the payday lender and are charged usury rates by your credit card, do you live in a democracy, right? You you live in a monarchy, a tyranny of the big bank. If if you're a farmer in Solano County, California, near Vallejo. And you and you have worked that land through generations of your family. You have eight Silicon Valley billionaires decide that they're going to build a utopia there. And they buy up all the land, treating you like insects. Do you, do you live in a democracy? What about if you're part of the cohort related in some way to the million dead of opioids? How's democracy working out for you? So... The restoration of the American dream is essential. Now, President Biden, and I think this is a good sign, right? Because the question he has to answer is why is he doing this again? Right. And and maybe an answer to that when he goes to Valley Forge, when he goes to AME, and I encourage him to campaign on the civil rights trail all across the country, everywhere, good and bad, it to say I'm old enough to remember something that hasn't been learned or has been forgotten by too many of us. And before I pass the torch, we have to renew our faith. Yeah, the idea is to powerful and right in a powerful idea, right? And connect it. Now the the, the proposition with Trump, Trump's a philosopher of fuck youism. Yeah, of course. So so when you lower expectations to zero, break faith completely, people disdain the government. You've had a 50-year campaign saying it's the enemy, right? People believe nothing is on the level, and a lot of it isn't, right? What does Trump deliver? Well, the people they hold responsible for the destruction of the American dream, the destruction of their lives— the teaching of their kids that men can be women one minute, women the next, all of the things, right, that they are aghast at, right, upset at, feel condescended by. What Donald Trump delivers to them is in perpetuity the agony of the people they hate. 
But if you live on fuck you energy, which a political party has for seven years, this is an empty calorie. It's like drinking two liters of Coca-Cola a day. It'll make you fat, soft, lazy, stupid, and kill you with diabetes. And And that is the cost of the society, right? The decay, the corruption, right? That is permissible because an angry country that has been hollowed out at a time of economic inequality that is staggering historically, where faith has been breached between the people and all sorts of groups, companies, institutions at the top, it makes it possible for a demagogue of Trump's talent to rise. Yeah, and that but that's been that's been in the making for 60 years. And it's a it's an ongoing narrative uh, uh, in the US that that goes back to reconstruction and, and before, where you have these elements within the society, these tensions within the society that are consistently at odds with each other at with each other. The difference has been you you speak of Roosevelt. Uh, Truman, Eisenhower, uh, Daddy Bush 41. Um, Generationally speaking, you've had leaders who've risen to speak to the better angels in those difficult times, to the litany of individuals that you've identified who that are questioning democracy. You've had leaders to affirm for them the underlying principle of this great experiment noting we're not a democracy per se, we are a republic, we are we are an amalgam of states that agree to actually operate under one banner. That's the test. That's also the challenge um, and the opportunity that makes this thing work. When the leaders, and this is where the Donald Trumps come in with their fuck you attitude, when the leaders stop affirming those underlying principles, which you have so eloquently spoken about uh, in the past and continue to, to continue to do, that's when that individual, those individuals you you mentioned, begin to feel the burn of their situation. The hopelessness begins to set in because what becomes the reality is, oh, all this shit's been a lie that there is no one who cares that my son died of opioids. There is no one who's concerned that my daughter uh, won't be able to go to college because she can't afford it. There is no concern that as I retire, uh, I have nothing to retire on. There is no concern that my parents, and I've just gone through this and still go through it with my with my dad, but went through this with my with my mom, There is no concern with how we treat the elderly in this country and how much more difficult it is to age uh, in this country and how much easier it is to die alone. Um, Thankfully, that was not the case for my my mom, but that is the story for so many. Because of that failed leadership, it opens up that door for Donald Trump to bring his brand of bullshit to the table which offers nothing other than the salve to say, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, aren't they bitches? They don't give a shit about you, but he ain't giving them anything. So what happens on the other side of that? 
because at some point, even they, the MAGA people have to recognize Donald Trump's ass may go to jail. Or if you go to jail, just ask those uh, who were in January 6th who've been prosecuted, the 1,200 who've been being prosecuted and on the and some of whom are on their way to jail. He ain't sending them a check to get them out. His only promise is, oh, reelect me and I'll, I'll pardon you. Well, that ain't paying the legal fees that I had to pay. That ain't paying back the reputation that I lost from following you. So what is it people expect? at this point. And, and that doves tail into your effort to, to push Dean Phillips into a position to challenge in the upcoming election and what that could possibly mean, not for the uh, uh, election of Dean Phillips, but the election of Donald Trump. Well, let me let me break this up into to two parts, right? So where, where you started, right? What Joe Biden is trying to say and has to say more clearly is, is very simple, right? Michael Franti has a great song, should be the campaign song, right? <laughs> Call Michael Franti and ask him for the rights to, for the, the, song. Rights to the song. I'm right. on your side. Right. That's the message of Joe Biden's campaign. I'm on your side, Right. And if you listen to the lyrics, if you get a call that tells you you got to pray, right? If you're afraid, right? Worried about paying the bills, I'm on your side. Right. right? Donald Trump and the MAGA movement are not on America's side. They're on no person's side. It is a corrupt cabal, an organized conspiracy for the purposes of taking power and enriching and engorging themselves at the public trough, establishing one set of rules for them and another for everybody else where they can subjugate so they can enrich themselves. Right. It is appalling. Um, Donald Trump doesn't leave his people unfulfilled. Delivering the fuck you is a powerful narcotic. And we can talk more about it. What I would say about Dean Phillips is, is this, is that he appeared on my podcast. I admire Dean Phillips. Um, and there's something important to say. And you're on television. I've been on television for a long time. What is the word we should call it when every person goes on TV, says one thing on camera and another thing off, camera, off camera, right? Right. And is acknowledged as fact by every reporter in the country. What Dean Phillips said is the president's political position demands a primary challenge. Because the president is losing the election to to Donald Trump. And, and I want to say something to the Biden people, because I think I, I represent uh, a vast cohort of, of people that fall into the category that I'm about to articulate. Um, Dean Phillips got into the race. You can look at the announcement speech. 
Uh, he was very quickly at 25% in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. um, the race was, hey, do 120 town halls up here, see what happens if you go out. From my observation, I helped launch it, not run it, and um, helped start up a first wave of Super PAC, frankly, because I could do it faster than the permanent one that right. had set it up, um, is that the message has changed from, hey, this is a race about Trump to like the Dean Phillips campaign is really a campaign about ballot access in the Democratic primary. That's what it's that's what it's become. And so because I've been someone who's been around the block on political campaigns, I, I just don't feel the need to pretend. Right. There's no plausible scenario three weeks out for Dean Phillips to go from where he is today to winning the New Hampshire primary, right? So the day after the New Hampshire primary ends, right? I think what Dean Phillips did was honorable and admirable. And if it kicked off as a consequence of political campaign meeting in the Biden White House 20 minutes early, that's a very good thing, right. right? And so, but but the day after the New Hampshire primary, in my view, it's time for Dean Phillips, right? To get on board and to support the person who's gonna be the Democratic nominee. And I want to talk honestly about this. I'm very unhappy about it. I'm very unhappy about it, right? About the choice, right, that I'm that I'm facing. And so there's a lot of commentary that you read when you say anything, very brittle reaction. Right, 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 right. Right, with reporters, like, how dare you? How dare you criticize, right? Something about the Biden. Let me respond to it. No, fuck you, right? <laughs> no, you need me right? More than I need you, right? You're going to appreciate my unhappiness, right? As I get on board enthusiastically. But let me just say in advance, right? Joe Biden loses this election. His, his legacy is two words. It's Donald Trump. Yeah. He'll be yeah. the second president in a row who won't have a presidential library. Yeah. Yeah. Right? There will be no accomplishments. Right. And the legacy of every person around him who put ego first will have a high price to pay. And, and let me add to that. If you're a poker player, right, you know, ace is the high card. Right. So a lot of the message on the Biden campaign has been this is an existential threat for democracy. Right. That's the high card. That's not the high card. It's not bullshit each other. Yeah. That's the king. The high card is no one dare hurt the president's feelings by saying that he may be a weak candidate at 82 against Donald Trump because he's been overwhelmed, not by governance, but by politics, by communications in a, in a tidal wave of filth. So, so what this moment requires is a coalition that appreciates the flawed standard bearer is democracy's standard bearer. And the threat is so exceptional that our unhappiness will have to yield. But understand, the Democratic Party, if it fails to stop a Donald Trump return to the White House, will be as utterly wrecked as the Republican yeah. Party. Yeah. Because what party? could conceivably be so awful, so weak, and so unappealing 
that it could lose an election to the most rancid cause since Jim Crow and the Confederacy. Yeah, I I, I think you you nails that you nail that uh, precisely right. It is one of the frustrations I have, and people who listen to my podcast know I've expressed time and time again, as well as on MSNBC. I don't know what the hell is wrong with Democrats. I don't know how Republicans have ever lost to them, to tell you the truth, because the reality of it is I've never seen a more politically inept group of people so tone deaf to where the country is telling them uh, they want to go and what they need. Um, and and getting lost in the MAGA bullshit out of, out of the House and out of Trump around Joe Biden's age, around Kamala Harris, around a whole bunch of stuff, as I as I like to say, is a broad example of where the Democrats have been from day one. They spent the first two years talking about filibuster, uh, and the American people were asking them, who the hell is Phil and Buster, and what did they do that everybody's so mad at them? Uh, and that, to me, was always been sort of the quintessential disconnect. Um, it is around the communication. They have been out communicated by um, by a very very sophisticated uh, and and organized group of people who are not promoting democracy and democratic principles, but to your to your earlier point, a fuck you mentality. It is the ultimate form of me first, um, because whenever you you whenever you say that um, politically. That's essentially what you're saying to people. And 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 so you don't have a counter narrative to that. You wind up in a race against a guy like Trump losing by four points right now. Now, we are seven, eight months out before this shit really matters. So when we get to September, it really matters at that point because voters start to settle and tell you, as you know, what their choice will likely be. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back right after this. Face Palm America is a show for progressives and others on the left who want to keep up with the ridiculousness that this country dishes out, find out what cable news misses when they're waiting for Trump to appear at a podium, and also, every once in a while, get a laugh at how silly this hot mess of a nation of ours really is. If that's you, listen to Face Palm America. You can go to facepalmamerica.com or find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody, to the Michael Steele Podcast. I'm Michael Steele. How do you, how is there recovery for the president on this? Today, he's at Valley Forge. He is he is giving, to your point, um, making the case to the American people. And he's starting with the idea um, about democracy and noting at the same time, in the same breath as I've just watched him do uh, on the screen, that Donald Trump has told you he wants to be a dictator on day one. Do those things align, right? How How does he begin to address that narrative shortfall that he has with the American people? So today is a good day, all right? He's out of the White House, out of Washington, in the country, at a place that deeply matters to the American civilization. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is an important place, right? This is, we share this space that he's at today. Yep. Now, the AP wrote that he was going there. And the way they did it, right, they said, 
he's going to a place of national trauma. <laughs> hey, this the is pre the press is, is you just can't. This this is a place where through hardship and fortitude and defiance, farmers become the American army. I wonder what the hell and, they call and, Gettysburg. And and, and <laughs> when and when the army under the command of George Washington rolls out of Valley Forge in 1778, it's a different army yeah. that came into Valley Forge. And in the revolution, not so long after it is won. And when that revolution is won, of a young Frenchman who's in command of American troops in Yorktown, and the Marquis de Lafayette, okay, yeah, he sees yeah. the white flag go up. He says, humanity has its victory. Liberty has his country. And he believed that this was the greatest event in human history. The idea that regular people would run the government as sovereigns, the creation yep. of a republic that in time has come to enfranchise all of us. We so the people. This, and this gives a rationale for Biden to shine a light on his weakness, right, which is his age, and to say, let me tell you something before I pass, before I hand it off, before my generation yields. Franklin Roosevelt talking to the Canadian prime minister late into the night, the world we live in that he envisioned, that he architected, that he created, he said that he hoped that it would endure in his last for as long as everybody who was alive on the day that war was won was still alive. And the youngest of those people are 78. I was three years old. And that world order is unraveling because of Vladimir Putin. Yep. Because of Xi Jinping, because of Donald Trump, because of a rise of this. And I want to connect the past to the present and open a door to the future where we bring the American dream back. And we're going to do three great things over the next four years on top of the three things that we have done over the last four years that 50 years from now, your grandchildren will thank you for saving this country that well that's it that's right. it. dude this I, is this is he must i'm he clipping must this and sending the, it to them he <laughs> must step into the arena this must be confronted on each and every hour love beats malice and what beats trumpism is an articulation of better and what is better is the american ideal we share an identity in this country, right? We share an identity. It's an American identity. There's no identity yeah, that's unique higher than that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to tell you a story I heard about the Dean Phillips campaign. And, I, and this is what scares me to death about this election in the Democratic Party. So you know, politics are rough business, right? You go from yeah. Congress and, and Dean Phillips is a very talented guy. He's a very, very talented political candidate right jumped in the race as a matter of conviction uh people were terrified uh i stepped off the line with them um because i don't think people should ever be afraid of running for office let alone president in the united states 
people shouldn't be afraid to work on a campaign. And I'll just be honest, right? The intimidation inspires my defiance, right? Yeah. And so off we off we step into the line and a and a campaign comes together. And Dean Phillips winds up in a car with Mark Leibovich. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he writes a profile on him. And in that profile, he makes a comment about Kamala Harris's unpopularity. Yep. Um, and she is historically unpopular. She's at Dan Quayle levels of unpopularity. Um, and to me, uh, that is evidence of a pretty, pretty spectacular political malpractice, mal malfeasance. Yeah, I agree. But at any rate, the way the political ball bounces, right? This somehow now is that he is being called on to apologize, right, to Kamala Harris, right, for saying that she's unpopular. Right now, this is this is where a campaign, right? This is now we're in the room. Like you and I have been in this room, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. This is like a fun. It's like now I'm this makes me happy if I'm in a political campaign, right? Because now you get to say that the correct answer is be like, we're not going to apologize to the vice president. But we definitely think the West Wing advisors who have wrecked her stature, her reputation and her standing should apologize to her. Yeah. Yeah. So-and-so should apologize for misusing her. Yeah. So-and-so should apologize for misusing one of the most talented candidates. Right. So that's the right answer in a presidential campaign. So there, there's a meeting that I'm told after I'd stepped out and done these first four ads in the super PAC that took place in the campaign. <laughs> and there's a guy sitting at the table <laughs> who's a 60 plus year old white guy uh-huh. who <laughs> has an IQ. It's way up there. Yeah. And he's done 700 political campaigns. Yeah. And this gentleman goes, we shouldn't apologize to Kamala Harris. It's the wrong thing to do. And a woman in the room, deputy campaign manager, like a real senior person, I, I don't know, right, says with great indignation, well, white cisgendered men don't get a vote in this room on that one. Right. And as soon as you, as soon as I heard that, right, you just know this is over, right? There's no, exactly. Right. So this campaign is over, right? This is, this is like, if there's a, if, if there's like a pancreatic cancer spore, (laughs) right. That was airborne, right. Like outside your house. You just open the windows. That's in, right? So the spore is in the house, right? It's over, right? You can't have a conversation, right? You have, right, half the campaign then is an oppressor oppressing the other half of the group. And so oh. off the off the rails, off the rails it goes, right? Oh. So when you read about, right, the Democratic National Committees having sit-ins against the Biden administration, right, that you have letter-writing campaigns by staff who don't understand that the elected official makes policy. All of that stuff, right, keeps me awake at least one night a week, right? I'm not I'm not panicked about it, but but I don't like it. Right. right? The right. campaign. So so what I want to see, like in the in this month, right? I want to see President Biden kick this guy's ass. 
right? I want to see him go to Mother Emanuel Church. Yep. I want to see him roll out across the country. And here's another thing I want to say. I don't want to see an hour-long State of the Union. I want to see one of the shortest State of the Union. Bingo. In, Bingo. In, Absolutely. In, in history. I want to see something that lasts for 15 minutes. 15 and, tops. And here, listen to me, White House people. Listen to me. Yes. Get out John Kennedy speeches, the Arabella speech in 1960 uh, before he left and was inaugurated, the tribute to Robert Frost, the speech at Rice University to the moon, his inaugural address. These are 15 minute long speeches. Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural. You, Mr. President, you must drive a theme. Yes. You must talk about the country. You must talk about our commonalities, where we're going. Read FDR's 1936 Democratic National Convention address and talk about democracy like that. Lay out a vision through conviction, not poll-tested banalities. Look, you can, if you can't, at this point, given everything that we know, and everything we've gone through and damn sure about to go through, you can't tell me in 15 minutes or less what your deal is and why your deal is important and why I need to follow you, then you're you're gonna lose, you're gonna lose an incredible opportunity and get caught up in the politics of bullshit with Republicans sitting on their hands and booing and doing whatever their their asshole tells them to do, and Democrats overplaying and jumping up and looking silly, applauding for shit that they shouldn't be applauding for. Um, and then meanwhile, the country's gonna yawn because nothing for them will have changed. And I think it's important what you're saying is that Joe Biden lets them know that, yeah, we're going to change the way we do this. We're going to move the country in a direction that that is not expected. It is not pro, pro forma. It is going to be rooted in blue-collar workers that I know and love, families that are sitting at kitchen tables trying to figure I'm out how to make- I'm on your side. I'm, I'm on your, your side. side. They yes, are ma'am. not on your side. Absolutely. Let me tell you whose outside I'm on. See That's those it. Ukrainian people? I'm on their side. That's right. That's New right. Side Donald Trump on. He's on the side that has kidnapped 60,000 children. That's it. That's right. it. I'm on your side. And at the end of the day, right? Like there's something you said earlier, right? And every time I every time I see you, right? I, I always I always think, right? Every time we do one of these, right? I always think about like what Matt Schlapp said to you. Yeah. And and how you and how you bitch slapped them. I when I was a kid growing up in New Jersey, Hank Aaron was a hero. Yeah. Later on, like when I'm 17 in the 1980s, right? You're kind of like people people were shouting the N-word at Hank Aaron when I was five years old. Mm -hmm. And so the one thing that 
I was very, very sheltered about in life and as a Republican is on this question of race and in particular the South. Right. Because I'm a Northerner. I'm from New Jersey. You are from you are from Maryland. Yeah. Um, our Republican parties were not filled with religious fanatics. They weren't ideological. They weren't even conservative, right? They were, they were the they were the good government party. Yeah, pragmatic. Right? Yeah. And so, as you look at these these debates that take place, like over the Voting Rights Act, right? And there was this position, and I and I actually was naive enough to accept it with sincerity, at face value, which was that this is a new South, that this is a new society. It's been remade, right? That the civil rights laws and the um, consent decrees and all of the things, right, that are imposed from an elections perspective, right, because of the past, because of segregation, because of the abuses. We live in a new era. Mm-hmm. Why are you enforcing, right, rules and laws as if it's still 1966 or 68 yeah. or 75 or 76? And I, I accepted that argument, right? Like, I accepted that argument. Right. And and all of the evidence, right, is the person who placed the concession phone call for John McCain to mm-hmm. Barack Obama. You have a sense of history, right? The moral arc of the universe is long yeah. and it bent towards justice. Right. You're moving towards that place. Right. You're moving towards that place. Right. It's inexorable. Right. That that the that the poison of race. Right. That it's that it's bleaching out. So. Full stop. I'm watching this documentary on Netflix and it's about all these like 80 year old Germans, right? Veterans of the SS, right? Hitler youth ended their lives looking back on the heyday of the third Reich. We've been conditioned Schindler's list, the era of the mournful German, right? Right. That the regretful, none of these people were regretful. Every one of them was nostalgic. Right. They don't they don't regret what they did, the service, their time. They lost. They accept it. But they don't have bad memories. They don't necessarily, except for a few, accept the evil that was around them. So the snarling, spitting, white, deranged face shouting the N word on the line of the black kid going to school, that spirit, that ember, it never extinguished. Right. right? And and. It has been brought back to life, manifestly so. And so now you stand at an era, right, where this is a really a revanchist movement, right? When you look at freedom, when you look at liberty, you're a black woman in the state of Ohio in a situation like that. Right, yeah. Knock on your door any moment, any day. You're a 17, you're a 17 year old black boy in the culture that tells you, hey, it's okay, right? Yeah. In the culture, right, to do interracial dating. Well, right. Depends on who grandpa is. Right? Uh, hey, you better not right? step your ass up to my house. Right. Exactly. Is, right. Exactly. And so exactly. Like, we're, we're at the gateway to a terrible, terrible, terrible 
revanchism uh, towards these darkest impulses in the country. But, but the thing to understand is the fight is perpetual, right? It's like, it's like John Lewis crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge, but like each generation is going to have to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Uh, Our great grandchildren's generation yeah. have to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Like what, what this just shows is that human nature produces people who want to subjugate other people who want to take power who want to take control and if there's somebody who looks like they have a pathway to do it they will have acolytes they will have supporters they will they will have people who get on board right and that's the thing the media doesn't understand about trump right some people around trump just want to take money in like jared kushner Right. Like every time you read about the guy surrounded by another six Qataris. Right. I know. Right. This was, this was about business. Jared Kushner didn't give a shit about anything other than money. Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller doesn't care about money. Right. Stephen Miller cares about building concentration camps, camps. Them with Mexicans yeah. and Guatemalans and Hondurans. And that's what he cares about. Right. So each component. Right. Of that coalition because it's nihilistic, gets to sit at the table and have some agency and regency for the things they care about. So that's why there's room for Nick Fuentes, the Nazi. Yeah. Like, he yeah. doesn't interfere with Jared Kushner's grift. So why does Jared Kushner care about the Nazi in the coalition who enables the grift? And why does the Nazi in the coalition care about the Jew who's getting grift, who's using on the Saudi grift, right? Everybody's got a piece. Everybody's and, got a piece. And so, and so that's what this is, and that's what has to be extinguished. The 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 point you make about that arc uh, and how it bends um, and, and the fact that, and I, I think it was a very important point that we all will have to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge Reminds me of a lesson that I learned from the I Have a Dream speech, Washington, 1963, August 28th, the mall. Um, you know, I have vague rem remembrances of that. I remember um, my dad uh, taking me out on uh, that day uh, vaguely uh, as, a, as, a, as a young, young kid. Um, and subsequently understanding appreciating the history of that moment what i learned and took away from it steve was dr king was not talking to the hundreds of thousands who were amassed in front of him on the mall that day he was talking to steve schmidt and michael Steele. 60 years later 50 years later 40 years later he was talking to future generations about that dream uh, about the little black boy and the little black girl holding hands uh, with little white girls and little white boys. Um, that that would be the continued test that was not going to be met on that mall in that moment. It would not be realized in the Civil Rights or Voting Rights Act. It would not even be realized upon the election of the first black president but it is something that we would continue to have to strive towards and test ourselves against 
whether or not we still deem these truths as self-evident, that all of us are created equal, that we still believe in this idea of we the people as the governing authority of these united states that form this place called America. And at this hour, many of us fail that test, willingly fail that test. We just named a few of them. So the pressure rests on the shoulders of Steve Schmidt and Michael Steele as we begin this 2024 to reimagine that conversation for this nation, to represent it, those words from 1963, uh, to represent that march across that Ed uh, Edmund Pettus Bridge as a part of the American narrative that we have to rise to meet every day um, if we want this thing to work, which is you know, why for me having you start this conversation on my podcast this year was important because the one thing you do politics like nobody else does politics and and we know that but i think a lot of people miss about you that i appreciate and maybe it's the old seminarian in me is that your politics is anchored to a belief a philosophy an ideal that is not steve schmidt but is us that is us that is america and i think a lot more people need to see themselves and what they can give the country in that light in that way that for that mom sitting around trying to balance the books at the kitchen table your voice is is as important as steve or mine your voice is more important than the president that's how we work our way, way through this. You are the leader, as to, to paraphrase uh, uh, Barack Obama, you are the leader we've been waiting for, that we need. And before I let you get out of here, if we wanted to set up the conversation for 2024, that would be the way I would do it. What do you think of that? How how do you what do you say to that mom balancing that checkbook as she's trying to feed her kids? What do you say to that dad who's filled with the pride uh, that comes from an honest day work to provide for his family and his kids to create that that dream that Dr. King talked about? The young teenager who's trying to discover their sexuality uh, but doesn't want to wind up in a concentration camp because of it. Um, or the young immigrant or migrant uh, who's seeking a better life, but looks across the wall, that border, and and is being told, "Hell no, we don't want you." How do how do we have this conversation? Is Mark Zuckerberg on your side? He's building a two hundred sixty five million dollar mansion with a giant bunker underneath of it on an island in Hawaii. Mark Zuckerberg isn't on your side, yes, right? Are the algorithms on your kid's side? Are the tech companies on your side? Are the big banks on your side? Are the healthcare companies? Are the insurance companies? Is Wall Street on your side? Is the usury rates of the credit card industries, are they on your side? 
right? You know who's an equalizer? You know who can be on your side? The president of the United States. He can do a lot, right? And Joe Biden is, is on all of our sides. Now, I wish he had been a one-term president and had traveled the country spreading good vibes, but he made a different choice. Mm -hmm. right? But I don't doubt the sincerity of the man. I don't doubt his conviction. And, and so here's the deal. He's not a dishonest man. He's not on the take like Trump. He had a he had an addicted son. Right. And the abuse of that son is a national scandal, too. And you ought to talk about that. Right. He ought to he ought to run a fearless campaign. Right. Every person in the White House who tells him to read a script, hands him a cue card. Right. Stop it. Right. right. Let the president right. go out to the country and make an make it make an argument. And I want to say one last thing, if I could, about the Lincoln Memorial, because I, I think when you talk about that day, you know, and going out, um, that on the day of dedication of the Lincoln Memorial in 1923, which is about 40 years before Dr. King leads the march there, uh, which was called the Freedom Parade. Right, the pennants carried that day, right? Or the right, or the they they're the mark the freedom parade. And um so in 1923, you have you have two speakers really that are that are that are the dominant speakers. You have Dr. Morton from the Tuskegee Institute, and and he is speaking um from the dais ahead of the president of the United States. Um the crowd is sitting in segregated sections, right? Uh, but it is also filled with veterans um, of the war, uh, the surviving veterans, um, 60 years after the after the war, South and North, um, in a spirit of, of reconciliation. And they are talking about Lincoln and then Harding gives a speech and, and he is explicit about this. That 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 before he hands over the monument to Chief Justice Taft, right? He makes clear that the purpose of the monument is not for the people sitting there. It's for us. It's for future generations. And and what's what it what it says above Abraham Lincoln's head in there, you know, in this temple. Shrined mm -hmm. is in the hearts of the people for whom he saved the Union. Rest forever the memory of Abraham Lincoln, flanked on both sides by the Gettysburg Address and the second inaugural, uh, the first inaugural address, where the cataclysm that comes, where the redemption of the American ideal through the words of the Gettysburg Address, the long struggle. Right. So so in 40 years time from the end, 60 years time from the end of the Civil War, the emancipation of slavery to Dr. Morton standing there speaking to a segregated crowd about American ideals and principles. Well, 40 years off from that moment. Right. Imagine. Right. If you could have envisioned in 1923 a young black man uh, at the head of a freedom parade, hundreds of thousands strong, marching under the American flag with a profound moral and righteous might 
to the temple where forever rests the memory of Abraham Lincoln is in the hearts of his countrymen mm -hmm. to in King's words to redeem a promissory note. Does, does Martin Luther King, who was certainly a revolutionary in the best sense of the word, a true patriot, does he come to tear down the temple? He comes yep. to the temple to preach the message of the temple to the whole country. The message is freedom. Yeah. And then within another lifetime, Barack Obama speaks to the country on the eve of his inauguration. This is the story of America. Right. But but the race attacks in Washington in 1919 or in Tulsa, the thousands of lynchings, all of the injustice has always coincided and existed next to all of the glory, the high ideals next to the basest human conditions. And I'll just say this to close out. I have been all around the world and have personally borne witness at the places where man's depravity and inhumanity has been its deepest and darkest. I've been to those places, to Auschwitz, yeah. to Riesenstadt, to Dachau, Rwanda, the, the places in the United States where Black Wall Street was destroyed in Washington, D.C., the civil rights museums where you can listen to the voices. There is no person who has ever, ever, and I mean ever, promised to lock people up into concentration camps, imprison political opponents, deploy the armed forces against his political enemies who when they got power didn't deliver on that promise yeah there are a lot of people who say if trump wins our democracy disappears it's not true we have ninety-four thousand different types of government in the united states mm -hmm. centralized society on earth the fight will just be beginning, right? What it means is the people who are terrified and just then waking up to the threat, right? It will be time for them to take to the streets behind the people who are ready to stand in front of the tanks rolling out of army yeah. bases yeah. on Trump's orders for the Insurrection Act. And for me, I'll be proud to be one of the first people at the gate standing in front of the tank yep. because no true American will ever, ever, and I mean fucking ever, submit to this bullshit. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And that's why he's Steve Schmidt, folks. Uh, that's why I'm glad I could begin my new year with this conversation because I think we need that orientation and that focus on what what's at stake, but most importantly, how those stakes are often set by us and how we have a large role to play in the outcome of those stakes. Steve Schmidt, he is the host 
of the podcast and Substack newsletter, The Warning with Steve Schmidt. He is my friend um, and uh, ally in this battle on behalf of US, us. Uh, man, it's a real pleasure seeing you again and hearing your voice. Good to see you, Governor. You got it, my friend. That does it for our time together, uh, friends. Thank you for beginning your new year with me and Steve. We look forward to the conversation um, over the next uh, 12 months uh, as we get ready for what will be one hell of a ride uh, in this election season. Until then, be safe, be well. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Steele. Follow the podcast at Steele underscore podcast. Uh, do that download thing because you know it makes me feel all yummy inside. Until next time, God bless. Face Palm America is a show for progressives and others on the left who want to keep up with the ridiculousness that this country dishes out, find out what cable news misses when they're waiting for Trump to appear at a podium, and also, every once in a while, get a laugh at how silly this hot mess of a nation of ours really is. If that's you, listen to Face Palm America. You can go to facepalmamerica.com or find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.